there, fellow Sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriating the Culture. On today's episode, we take an example of being right for the wrong reasons and the hazards of moral othering. I'm Pastor Shane, and I'll be right for the right reasons today as we appropriate some culture. So I was on the Twitters the other day, and I saw a thread that was being praised as an excellent dissertation on the nature of temptation, which was surprising to me because, well, it wasn't. Here's the thread. Some people claim Jesus must have been tempted by homosexuality since he was tempted in every respect, Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Thus, if Jesus was tempted in every respect, then Jesus must have been by homosexual lust. This is wrong. I agree, I'm with you so far. That Jesus was tempted in every respect does not mean that he was tempted by every particular mode or form of sin. The author of Hebrews is emphasizing Jesus' humanity, but even sinful humans are not tempted by every single manifestation of sin. I've never been tempted by bestiality. That's a particular sin. But the broader category of sexual sin is something that all of humanity is at one point or another tempted by. Same thing is true of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that he was tempted by every single particular kind of sin. That's not the human experience. That would make him less than human. It simply means he was tempted by all sin categories that are common to man. So I agree with the conclusion. The Hebrews passage does not mean that Jesus must therefore have been tempted by homosexuality. It doesn't mean that. But even if your conclusion is correct, how you get to that conclusion matters. That's why it's important to show your work. And that's where things derail. He says, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said lust is sinful. In other words, the desire for sin is sin. And that's the first misstep. It's subtle, but it leads to larger implications. Lust is not the desire for sin. Lust is the sin. The simple argument then is, one, lust is a sin. Two, Jesus is without sin. Therefore, Jesus did not lust. True. But that doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't tempted to lust, either heterosexually or homosexually. He could have been tempted to, but did not. But the bigger issue here is, Describing the desire of sin as sin fundamentally mischaracterizes the nature of sin. In abstract terms, I would agree that desiring sin is sin, but that's not how it works. That's cartoon villainy. That's like Skeletor and He-Man doing things for the sake of evil. But as C.S. Lewis put it, goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness. Here's how he describes it. In reality, we have no experience of anyone liking badness just because it is bad. The nearest we can get to is in cruelty. But in real life, people are cruel for one of two reasons. Either because they are sadists, that is, because they have a sexual perversion which makes cruelty a cause of sensual pleasure to them, or else for the sake of something they are going to get out of it. Money, or power, or safety. But pleasure, money, power, and safety are all, as far as they go, good things. The badness consists in pursuing them by the wrong method, or in the wrong way, or too much. I do not mean, of course, that the people who do this are not desperately wicked. I do mean that wickedness, when you examine it, turns out to be the pursuit of good in the wrong way. Correct. In reality, people don't desire sin just because it's sin. So in the case of sexual sins, people are desiring pleasure, intimacy, 
relationship or connection. But all of those things in and of themselves are not sin. Sex is a good thing that God created for us. Sexual sin is the spoiling of that good by pursuing it in the wrong method or in the wrong way or too much. And we'll see the importance of that and how that plays out. But our scholar continues, So what about Jesus being tempted in every respect? The answer is to differentiate between two kinds of temptation. One is internal and one is external. An internal temptation arises from one's own sinful desires. James 1.14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. In other words, he tempts himself to sin because he wants it. An external temptation comes from another person, evil spirit, or opportunity to sin. Someone tempted me to smoke weed once, external, but I wasn't interested, internal. I didn't desire it, even though someone tempted me with it. Okay, if what you're being tempted by isn't desirable to you, then it's not tempting. Can I tempt you with a steaming pile of crap? No? Okay, what if I sweeten the deal? I'll give you the pile of crap and I'll throw in a punch in the face. Pile of crap, punch in the face, final offer. Is that how we as human beings experience temptation? If there's no internal desire, then it's not tempting. And is that really what the Hebrews passage is suggesting? It said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. If Jesus' temptations were not connected to any internal desire, then he was not tempted in the same way that we are, and he is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But let's plunge the depths of that passage. The geek word for tempt in Hebrews 4.15 is perezo, which means to endeavor or attempt to cause someone to sin, to tempt, to trap, to lead into temptation. Temptation. In other words, the temptation Jesus experienced was external, not internal. He never desired sin. Wow. So you're telling me the Greek word for tempt is tempt. You're blowing my mind right now. Okay, this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Stop doing the Greek. Yes, please, person who has had two semesters of Greek, tell me how all the Greek scholars who are responsible for our Bible translations, who have dedicated their entire careers and lives to studying ancient Greek, didn't quite get it right. Stop it. You want to know what the Greek word is? Read three or four English translations of the Bible and you'll get a good sense. All right. But what does all the Greek mean? I believe the author of Hebrews was referring specifically to Jesus' temptation in the desert. Matthew 4 says Jesus was tempted by the devil and calls the devil the tempter. Temptation refers to Satan's action, not Jesus' desire. Satan tempted Jesus to sin, but Jesus never desired the sin he was tempted with. The bottom line, if Jesus desired sin, he would be a sinner and not a savior. But Jesus never sinned and never desired sin, though Satan tempted him. Through faith, Jesus does the same for us. He forgives our sins, helps us fight sin, and over time, he removes all desire for sin. This is from my book, God's Good Design, A Biblical, Theological, and Practical Guide to Human Sexuality. I think I'll skip the book. Did you notice how his example actually demonstrates the error of his thinking? Jesus did not have an internal desire to sin, but that's not what he's tempted by. What was Jesus' first temptation from Satan? Bread. That's the temptation. Turn these stones into bread. Because bread is sinful? No. But sin is pursuing good things by the wrong method or in the wrong way or too much. You see? And you better believe that was tempting. Because after 40 days of not eating, Jesus must have had a rather strong internal desire for bread. And if Jesus did not have that internal desire, 
then he's not fully a human being. And if Jesus is not fully human, if he's not fully man, then he can't be our stand-in. And his work on the cross then is null and void. And he's not our great high priest. And all of this can be equally applied to sexual sins. Just as humans have an appetite for food, we also have an appetite for sex. That is natural to mankind. The survival and perpetuation of the species sort of requires it. And food and sex are not sins in and of themselves. Jesus was fully God, but also fully man. He was a human being, which means he has all of the appetites of man, but was without sin. Now again, that doesn't necessitate that Jesus was tempted by homosexuality, and it also doesn't emphatically mean that he wasn't. It simply means he was tempted in every way that we are, but was without sin. The conclusion was correct, but you can see how bad reasoning leads to very bad things. Jesus needs to be fully man, which does also mean that he possessed all of the desires and impulses of man, but without sin. Now, I bring this up not just to help us think through the issues, but because I'm also slightly troubled by the instigation of the thread, which seems to be a revulsion that Jesus could theoretically have been tempted by homosexuality. And on this program, we're sharp critics of all things pride, and the condemnation of homosexual activity is, I think, especially warranted because in our culture, it's one of the few sins that's being actively championed, promoted, and heralded as virtuous. But that doesn't mean that it's a sin that is uncommon to man. And if we're in a place where we can see Jesus as the one who can sympathize with our weaknesses and the high priest for our sins, but not those icky sins that I'm not tempted by, well, then I think we're off the mark. But when we understand sin correctly, we understand its perversion and corruption stems from the same desires that everybody has. We want pleasure and connection and belonging and purpose which is what the devil is tempting with under the rainbow flag. This is an important issue in the culture, but we have to be sound in our reasoning and how and why we address it. All right, that'll do for today. As always, if you like what we're doing here, like, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend or two or 20, follow me on the socials, join my author's Facebook page, and I'll see you next time for more Appropriate in the Culture. Mm -hmm.